0: welcome to the men at work podcast episode number 16. i'm your host travis streb today we've got a bit of a different flavor on the episode i'm talking to jess hutchinson she is the executive director at the central west coast forestry society in essence her and her organization are cleaning up after the mess in clackwood sound that uh, we left with destructive logging practices, pretty poor cleanup, if any at all, and it has really devastated the ecosystem, in particular, uh, salmon-bearing creeks and the forest itself. So how is this related to men at work? Well, this is important in terms of legacy and the legacy that we, as men, have left on this planet for generations. And so, Number one, I wanted to bring awareness to the destruction and then the cleanup that's going on and the work that Jess and her team are doing in Blackwood Sound. And more importantly, as a call to action for the men listening to acknowledge that somewhere in our lineage, uh, maybe it wasn't your father or your grandfather directly, but somewhere there's some responsibility that we have to own as men for the way that we have treated the environment in um, the past few generations and so I have made a donation to Central West Coast I'm putting out a challenge to all the men that listen to this podcast to do the same I'll link up all the details not asking for a massive contribution but some kind of acknowledgement that even though it wasn't you or maybe not your father or your grandfather that somewhere along the line as men we've done damage to the planet and part of healing that karma is get involved in cleaning it up. If you can't donate money or you want to get involved in a more personal way, you can volunteer. They do some really cool restoration work up there at Central West Coast. The Timing is perfect. They're heading into heavy work season and they can always use people that um, can either wield a chainsaw or not and just help out with making this place habitable again for fish and wildlife and for the forest to regrow. All right. I hope you liked this episode. I had a ton of fun speaking to Jess. Let's dive into episode number 16. So how, tell me, like, how did you get into becoming the executive director of Central West Coast uh, Forestry Society?
1: Um, I think I was, like, 23 at the time, and a friend of mine in Tofino heard about a job posting for Central West Coast, and it was just to be a restoration crew member for the summer, um, and her and I were both doing our undergraduate degrees at the time, hers in biology and mine in environmental sciences, and, uh... So she heard about this job posting and she was like, hey, uh, you should apply. I'm not going to because my boyfriend tells me that it's like really hard labor and it's super buggy because you're working on the creeks all day. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, for sure I want to do that. It sounds awesome, but she wasn't so interested. So yeah, I applied for the job and got it. And then I think I spent the next like two or three summers working on the restoration crew during my undergrad. And, um, yeah, and then just slowly, but kind of quickly, climbed the ladder to the top of the executive director at the time, quit, and I jumped into the role.
0: I guess that's how it works at a lot of not-for-profits. The, the ED <laughs> yeah, eventually exactly. leaves, and you, you step in. You're like the, la- the last woman standing.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the only woman for a bit there. And, yeah. And then, yeah, we just sort of slowly... The society's gotten back on its feet over the last few years, and... Yeah, doing some good work these days.
0: So, what is it that you guys are doing? I mean, I've went through your your website, and there's a ton of amazing videos on there that describe it. But the way that it looks to me is, it, it's like you're you're cleaning up um, after the mess has been made, and somebody tried to clean it up. That's the kind of the analogy that I could I could give it to. It's like someone. Someone made a big mess and then they kind of like took a a half damp cloth and, and kind of wiped it up a little bit, but there's really they didn't quite do the deep work. And so you're I think you're even know with if it.
1: they pulled out the cloth at all on a lot of cases. <laughs> sometimes they just like walked away. So yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Is um we follow industry around unfortunately and clean up after their mess. Um so a lot of our work is uh, on areas that were like heavily logged in around the 1960s, 1970s, and even the 1980s and early 90s. Oh, hold on. I got someone else's phone ringing here. Um, yeah, so uh, heavy logging out here on the coast uh, from basically 1950 on to early 1990s, industrial-scale logging. They just, like, nuked the forests and nuked the rivers. And um, we've come along and just trying to like put the pieces back together and restore like the processes within these ecosystems so that they can recover faster.
0: So uh, you're 23 years old. Did you think that you'd be doing this, all this kind of cleanup work? I mean, you knew you were going to be hanging out in creeks with the bugs.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I knew it was going to be buggy. I knew it was going to be hard work to start. And then I kinda just got hooked i I just like loved I'd never heard about restoration before um and I just loved the idea that you could like do something that was like physically hard labor intense um and yet like based in science and use your your energy and your skills to like fix nature and or make it better. And help accelerate the recovery of these areas. Um, I never really heard about it before. I just heard about, you know, like more traditional roles for biologists, um, which would be like either in like environmental advocacy or research monitoring. Um, but I loved this idea of like being able to use your hands, use your mind, and use like skills and technology and science to actually improve. And help these areas recover
0: well it seems like when i like when i watch the video um the the work you're doing is like are are you catching up i guess is my big question because you're you're kind of going in with a pretty manual process to clean up after a highly automated kind of ecosystem destruction machine of logging if you will
1: yeah i think it's way easier for them to to do the like, it's way easier to make the mess than it is to clean it up. It's probably and obviously they made a killing off those logging industries, and it's costing us a fortune to uh, to fix their mistakes. Um, but I think I think we're catching up. We're gaining some ground. Like um, we're definitely like if you get into a watershed and you can figure out what's wrong with it and you get to know it and you start out with doing a lot of monitoring, a lot of research, getting your feet wet, getting to know it, and then finding the best places where you can actually intervene and do some positive work and do some labor, get a machine in there, get a bunch of people in there and try and fix the problems um, so that you don't continue to get worse over time. Because that's actually what. Um, a lot of the research is finding out these days is that um, these systems don't naturally recover as quickly as we once thought. Um, And so it really points to the value of of restoration and getting involved to help it accelerate its recovery.
0: It's an interesting point, right? um, I assumed, you know, and I thought I, I knew a bit about forestry. I grew up on the west coast and I've been visiting Denman Island for many, many years, and my parents were both involved in the on the periphery of the war in the woods, and you know we had our own little miniature war in the woods on Denman Island with um, with a logging company there. So, but I Ready. I assumed I totally assumed that it's like oh well over time you once you finish logging there's you know this beautiful process where everything just comes back to life. And yeah. hearing your story from my friend Jordan and then watching the videos and seeing the content it's like oh it's not true you actually have to go in there and or you can go in there and dramatically accelerate how much like how much of a difference can you make with with what you're doing
1: it depends on what you're doing like you can like yeah we do a lot of different work so it really depends on the project but sometimes we can speed up the recovery process by several hundred years wow. and sometimes we can speed it up like instantly so like for instance if we're working on a highway And there's a culvert that's impeding fish passage so for the last 40 years since that road went in salmon have not been able to get across the highway and have not been able to get upstream to access that habitat you remove that culvert you put in a fish passage you put in a a culvert or a bridge that fish can actually get under there you go you've like you know you've saved that salmon you know i don't know what it would take for like sediment to build up but Basically, you've restored it instantly, right? So, um, yeah, it depends on the project, but yeah, we can speed up the process by anywhere from hundreds of years to maybe even longer. You know, we've only been studying these things for the last like 50 years, so we don't know a lot about restoration yet. But, um, from the work and the research that has been done in other watersheds, in particular, there's a system on Barkley Sound called Carnation Creek, and they've been monitoring it extensively since the 1970s. and And sadly, um, it's actually gotten worse since they logged it. Where it was initially thought that the recovery track would be around, uh, we should be seeing it returning to a more natural state now. But it's actually exasperating over time. So, anyways, it all it all leads to the fact that it's important to get involved in these watersheds. and And I think for because of the restoration but i also think it's just like the importance comes down to getting people out and getting people connected um to their local watershed so that um we create stewardship i think that has like huge value over the long term so that especially out here where logging is still active when it comes time to log at that watershed again now we have people who are intimately connected to it and who will stand up for it and um help improve uh, if they do go ahead with logging maybe we can help uh, improve their practices the second time around
0: yeah try to like try to make it a bit better so your work is a bit less on the back end
1: well yeah definitely try and get involved on the front end so that uh we can not we can prevent that that damage from occurring to fish habitat again
0: um so uh... You know, before the call started, you know, we we joked about the fact that you're working in a non profit and we're having some technical issues around computers, but um you know, and you also mentioned that people have made a lot of money on in this industry. It's not not in your industry, but in the in logging industry. So who's like who's paying for all the cleanup? It, and and uh, I guess it seems to me like it it's uh, it seems patently unfair that you're left with a non profit to be cleaning up a mess that people have made a bunch of money on is that is that because there were no there was no mechanism in the past and there is now or is there still nothing available you're relying on individual donors to to fund you
1: yeah it does seem really sad that uh, like a billion dollar industry can walk away with millions of dollars uh in profit and just a short 20 years later we're left to to clean up the mess um and i think it comes down to a lot of things like when a lot of the damage was occurring, we didn't have the regulations and policies in place to protect these areas. So the forest companies at that time uh, had no legal obligation to uh, protect fish habitat, nor did they have an obligation to restore it. Um, and then it also comes to the fact that the companies uh, like McMillan Blowdell Bloedel that did all the logging around here in the 1960s no longer exist anymore, so there's no doors to knock on there. Um, finally, I think British Columbia, the province, um, is coming to the table and recognizing once again the need to get involved in uh, salmon habitat restoration. Um, they've sort of stepped away from the table for a number of years, but um, our current government is taking steps and is putting dollars back towards habitat restoration. But this is really the first year uh, in the 14 years that I've been with Central West Coast that um, the province is recognizing that they did allow this damage to occur and that they may have a responsibility to help um, fix some of that damage that was done.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's true. Obviously, the province had a hand in handing out timber licenses. And um, you know,
1: and they make a dollar off timber harvesting, too. You know, there's yep. a stumpage fee. But um we just haven't seen that funding go back towards restoration.
0: Right. So, it's interesting, right? Things. It's a I mean it's uh from a political lens, you know, to think when there when the softwood lumber crisis wears its head, there's lots of money available. <laughs> to,
1: yeah, to deal exactly. with the trade
0: implications but not a lot to deal with the long-term sustainability of a forest. Um So And
1: I think like that's so important like that just shows that the government doesn't recognize like that that connection that we all recognize that salmon help trees grow, you know, and like there's like that connection and ecosystem. So a healthy river means a healthy forest. So if you're a timber harvester, you should be interested in making that river as healthy as possible. But that's too complex, maybe. <laughs> it is. I
0: think. I mean, it's interesting. I um, I you know, I talked to I talked to a woman on on this podcast. Well, she's actually on this week. Her name's is Kate Braid. And she was one of the first women to become a journeyman carpenter. So it's a diff- totally different industry. you know. But it, an interesting thing, because she was commenting on the, the linear way in which um, most of our systems are built, like government. And it's like, it's a very... Um, it's a very kind of masculine, if you will, way of building things. So it's like there's a you know, salmon are there to serve a function, which is to feed people and build an industry, and so are the trees. And so all we have to do is just plant more salmon and plant more trees, and we'll have infinite wealth. And I think what I'm what I'm hearing from you and what I heard from Kate is that you know there's a there's a different relationship though that and and especially um, the one that's that is is more feminine and not in the in the gender-specific, but more in the energy way, which is, like, this is part of a life cycle. And there's more to it than just this kind of linear manufacturing, you know, very logical process. There's, there's a lot more complexity to it. Mm-hmm. How, how has that shown up, if at all, in, um, in the work that you're doing at Central West Coast?
1: Yeah, no, I think you're onto something there. Like, for instance, like, salmon, because they're... Uh... Anadromous species—they um, follow follow on. Sorry, because they're anadromous species. What they, does that
0: mean? Just oh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, because salmon have this unique life cycle, in that they spend a portion of their life in the freshwater and a portion of their life in the marine environment, uh, they fall under the jurisdiction of the federal government. So they are managed by the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. Our forests in British Columbia are managed by the provincial government. They fall under crown land, uh, and therefore they're under the jurisdiction of the Ministry of Forest Lands and Natural Resource Operations. Getting those two organizations, those two government bodies to work together is a complicated thing, Um, but yet we need to in order to have healthy rivers and healthy forests. And it's been a real challenge um, as an organization that works in both of those spheres. We work in the riparian area. So we work in the forest and we work in the stream. And we need both of those um, government bodies to also recognize that they are interconnected um, and recognize the value in investing in forests for salmon and investing in salmon for forests. And the never the two should be separated, but unfortunately, um, our government just doesn't really take that holistic approach.
0: Yeah, it's still it's a, it's still like a, it's a product of the design. I mean, it, it's a design that I think, as as men on the planet, we have to acknowledge we created largely. It's very linear and very masculine. I had the same experience in a, on a very different scale, um, when I buy fishing licenses. Because you have to, you have to buy more than I didn't know this when I first started fishing. It's like, oh well, I actually got a um, I got a warning from a one of the rangers. It's like, well, you have a you have a freshwater license, and I was like, what? Like, it's just it's the same fish. I I mean, obviously it makes sense. You got to have two licenses, but there's this sense that there's a delineation. It's like everything just makes sense, and you know, these fish are in the ocean, and these fish are in the river, and these fish are in the lake. Um, yeah, and it's not the way the world works, and I um. And what I really loved about the story, you know, the, one of the big reasons I wanted to talk to you is you're, you're uncovering a lot of these natural barriers that are there from, like, it's too, too structured a way to look at a highly unstructured and highly uncertain process. And, and chances are the, you know, the techniques that got us into this mess and and the people that got us into this mess probably aren't going to be the ones that are going to get us out. Especially if we maintain that linear view of the world um,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, no, i agree i think um i think it's it is interesting that it is like a a non profit charity organization that is trying to Work with both governments, the federal and the provincial, um, as well as the First Nations in the region, community partners, all the stakeholders. It's taking everyone to come to the table and to do this very labor-intense, very uh, costly work. But um, but it, the value of the work will be shared, uh, I think, uh, equally by all, if we do invest in in the habitat and invest in the in these ecosystems and ecosystems aren't linear, so if we're gonna manage them effectively, we have to think holistically we can't think of that uh, masculine as you said linear structure
0: yeah it doesn't it doesn't seem to work it, it's interesting like you're you're saying all this with a smile on your face obviously we're not doing a video um, podcast here, but um <laughs> i'm I would imagine there must be a part of this, and maybe maybe you've you've grown through it in your fourteen years there, where you just have to be completely pissed off or angry with the way things went.
1: Uh, I guess I'm just generally pissed off more that it it's so hard to get funding to do this work like. That's really what pisses me off more than anything. It's like, so we're working on this one system, and it used to support upwards of thirty-five thousand salmon would return annually. And this year, uh, less than two, less than twenty-five hundred salmon returned to the entire system. Um, and for Chinook, less than fifty-eight returned. So, like, this is this is a genetically distinct. Stock of salmon that we are at risk of like extinction, at risk of losing, um, and yet I can't find funding to save it. It effing sucks. Like yeah, well
0: it's it's okay. We're not on a PG podcast. You say whatever. Okay, you you say. it
1: fucking sucks. I bet <laughs> it does. It's so it's very disheartening that um, that we might you know lose this 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 stock of salmon in my lifetime and that I may not succeed in saving it I mean that really sucks (laughs) because I'm still young and I think I think when you're young you have this hope still that you will succeed and that you will make a positive change so I still hold that but you know if if I was 58 and we're having this conversation or 68 I would be super depressed you know that that I've spent my life trying to save these uh, wild runs of salmon, and I, God, I hope I am successful. But unless somebody comes to the table with some funding, we're not going to be successful.
0: Yeah, it does. It it takes it takes money. It's not just going to be um, you know you out there doing doing the work. You have to. This, things have got to happen, and that takes resources. as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because, like, really, yeah, it takes resources. Like, these rivers are all remote. They cost, you know, anywhere from 500 to to $1,000 to get to in a boat. Um, that's just to get there. And then you bring in a, a biologist, uh, sometimes a geotechnical engineer for road deactivation, sometimes a crew people to plant trees, to put logs, sometimes a helicopter to move logs into a river. Like, it is costly work, Um Right now, we're operating a a trap, so every single juvenile salmon leaving the tranquil, uh, we count, weigh, and measure and check for disease and health uh, before they head out into the ocean. It's super important work. It helps us recognize um, how many salmon our rivers are naturally producing, but it's a a costly thing to do, and um, right now, we're just like, you know, we're having bake sales. We're, you know doing podcasts we're doing everything we can to get some attention to um to these problems and and to you know hopefully raise some funding to to address them
0: yeah i mean it should obviously intuitively it should not be that hard um -hmm. you know but intuition is um you know or conventional wisdom isn't always right you know one of one of the things that stuck out for me as i was you know reading your story and talked to my friend jordan as i mentioned about it is that um i believe that as as men on the planet we have a huge responsibility um not just in apologizing for the things that things that we created whether it's you know relationally or ancestrally through the systems that we built because by and large we're the ones that designed most of the systems that have screwed with the planet um that we, we have a responsibility to clean it up and so i was like well here we have uh, we have a woman at the helm of an organization who's you know put her heart and soul into cleaning up a mess that by and large, like if we think collectively as men that we have in essence created. Um, and so you know I'd, I'd say, obviously at the end of this cast, I'll put up your link, but you know for the men that are listening, maybe you make a donation on behalf of your you know your gra- your great grandfather's grandfather or whoever whoever it was in your lineage that, you know has in some way, Created this, this issue. I mean, maybe you come from a, a long lineage of saints, and you can you can you can say you're good. I don't know, but there's something about the way that we have designed things that I believe we have to take responsibility for. Um, how like do you, like what what experiences have you had? I mean, I, there's a picture of you on the website, you know, wielding a chainsaw. You're working in an, in an industry that, especially logging, cleaning up after it, that is you know dominated by men. Do you ever deal with any any kind of gender issues at all in your organization?
1: Yeah, like for the first few years when I started running Central West Coast, it was me and two to three of my girlfriends, so we were pretty much a female-run organization and um you know, we just we just don't have as strong a hands and as strong as arms, but um but that didn't slow us down. Like there was just like this feeling that you you gotta step up, um, you know, and and pull your weight because, like you say, it is a it's a male dominated industry. We're using chainsaws, we're using axes, we're using come alongs and turfers, um, and so you just uh, as a female, you don't want to be able to. I don't ever want to say, like, oh, I can't do that. Can you do that for me? But, you know, sometimes you just can't open that pickle jar and you do need a man to come to the table to help you. But, um, yeah, no, there's definitely defined gender roles, but we try and kind of break those down, or I do. Like, there's no reason that's, like, and I still try and hire a lot of women because I think they come at it from that angle. They have this, like, energy and desire to push themselves, to work really hard, um to pick up a tool that they maybe not traditionally should have ever picked up, or but now they have that opportunity um, to learn how to run a chainsaw, to wield an axe, um, and to learn how to, like, set up pulley systems, and, like, like that sort of stuff. Um, although I had every opportunity as a, as a child to learn that, um, just in our traditional gender roles, those are the kind of things that my brother just learned, um, and I didn't. I learned other things um so when I had the opportunity in the workplace I think I really jumped on it like I was really excited that hey I can run a chainsaw sure yeah of course I can why can't I you know like um yeah that kind of stuff really excites me and uh and I think that's why like for you know half of my staff is female um because you know we, we gravitate towards the idea of doing something good but also, you know, pushing ourselves physically um, in the field.
0: I think it's such a good positive image to be putting out there. You know, to not have it be that. And you know, you're you're very much um, an executive director who works. You know, you're you're putting your boots on every day and and going out and and actually doing the work. And it's true though that you know I I have two young girls and I've probably socialized them in the same way that you know my sisters were socialized. They don't do a lot of hammer swinging, but it is, it's, it's unique in the sense that you're not just, you know, quote unquote, running a not-for-profit, you know, sitting behind a desk and being the spokesperson that goes out to these galas and raises money. You're, you're doing both. And I think it's, it's really important, especially for, for young girls seeing how that, how they're being socialized to see that. It's not like, oh, I want to, you know, be a biologist and, you know, run a non and it'll be this, you know, kind of cushy gig. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, you can really get your hands dirty and, and do the things that we've kind of programmed you not to do for the most part.
1: No, you should. Like, that's, I think that's the best part about, um, about maybe, you know, it's a unique opportunity as a woman as we get to push these boundaries and, yeah, like, you know, you can, you can, you can do it all, you know, like, girls can run chainsaws, we can wield axes effectively, we can set up skylines, pulley systems, um, you know, and it takes a team, for sure, like, you need, you need both, you need men, and you need women, um, but don't let your gender slow you down.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that is a, that's that's a darn good, we will have to quote that one on the, uh, on the podcast show notes, don't let your gender slow you down. <laughs> But it is, it, there is an element of, of togetherness of this that I think is important. And this is, you know, I do, I've, I spoke to a, I've spoken to a lot of people on this podcast who work in the corporate world. Where we ha- like, it's, it's different. You're not wielding a chainsaw, but it's the same kinds of, of social programming and the same kinds of pressures that come into it. And, you know, I think and in many cases, women can get flack for trying to do something like you're doing. Where it's like, oh, well, you're trying to do both. You know, you're you're you know you, you're gonna have some femininity to it and then but you're running a chainsaw and you know and, and walking around in your boots which is traditionally something that a man would do and so it's important to be able to see that and um, so you know beyond your message of, of ecosystem restoration it's such a great example of some of this must have to must be you know intuitive or spiritual based and not just like well here's the science I mean it's um, there's a lot of traditional knowledge in these these places, and they're relying on that when when they're going in and, and cleaning up the mess, as it were.
1: Yeah, we have, so one of the projects we're involved in right now is um, we're trying to understand what these, um, these watersheds would have traditionally supported, like how many species, or sorry, how many species, what were the number of salmon that used to return to these systems before we logged them, before we started canneries, before we started harvesting heavily in the early 1900s. Um, how many salmon returned and unfortunately Department of Fisheries and Oceans doesn't have that information our uh, salmon stock um, analysis or salmon stock counts only go back to around the 1950s so we've been working with each of the nations um, sitting down with elders and trying to like capture some of this knowledge before those elders pass on um, and really start writing down what information we can on these systems because there were eyes, there were people living in summer villages at the mouths of these rivers in the 1920s. So we need to we need to you know learn from these people and um, and incorporate their knowledge into our uh, restoration practices and our and our designs and our, our goals.
0: So, uh, out of curiosity, when you talk to them about numbers, um, how do they compare to what you're seeing now? Like, obviously, I mean, I would imagine that they've gone down, but um, how dramatic has it been?
1: Well, oh yeah, it's it's crazy. Like, so we know, for instance, that tranquil in the 19. 19- I think it was the 1960s, had upwards of 35,000 fish return every year to that river, Um, and now we're seeing less than 2,500 return. Um, We speak to elders and people who used to traditionally harvest on that river, and, you know, they're, they're confirming that for sure they recognize that there was upwards of 35,000 and some say even more. Um, it's difficult because, um, you know, our system of counting fish was not their system. So instead, for another watershed, we were looking at like, well, how big was your village on this system? Okay, well, we know your village had upwards of 10,000 people in it. Well. You know, like how many salmon did it take to support that number of people, um, and for, to move that number of people there for the for the summer run of sockeye? Like, you know, that must have been a huge run of salmon to move 10,000 people to. You know, I don't know. It's just it's piecing together the information and the knowledge, and and helping us like better understand what carrying capacity. What these watersheds in a healthy state would have supported.
0: Yeah, that. Um, it's so funny, right? It's like, well, we didn't, you know, they weren't, we weren't counting fish in, in 1920. We were trying to feed a village, and we knew that this river had enough. Um, so, it's such a, it's such an interesting, you know, it's our our kind of the design of the system is well, no, we have to count the fish, and we need to have, you know, we have to have all the data, and yeah, my gosh, like data, data is so important to have, but often it's like tell me a story about this so we can try to work backwards um Mm -hmm. so on that what what story do you hope that um that you can tell um you know let's project out let's say you hang around there for another 20 years if we're 20 years down the road what's the story that you hope you can tell people about the work that you're doing
1: Well, for me, I like taking people out. Um, I've only been with the society for 14 years, but you know, uh, a 14-year-old tree that I planted when it was this tall is now, you know, anywhere from seven to eight feet tall. So I love going back to a system that I worked on in 2005 and seeing how huge the trees are now that I planted um, in that short time. So I look forward to continuing to watch the trees grow. Um, I also love going back to this one system where we placed a lot of large woody debris, so a bunch of logs and root wads and stumps, we put them into the river, um, and now a beautiful pool has formed. And every time I go there, I see you know, hundreds of juvenile salmon utilizing that pool and hiding in that wood. Um, I just want more and more of those experiences. Um, And I want more and more of those places to exist uh, where we can say, you know, we can tell that story of like, yes, this place was heavily logged in the 1960s, but then in the early 2000s and maybe the mid-2000s, people started coming back and started to invest in restoring these ecosystems. And now look what they've become. Um, That story of hope um, that humans can can make a difference and can make a positive change on this earth, I think is really empowering. And I hope that's the message we get out to people.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's inspiring to hear that and um, to hear you speak, even to say, you know, I've only been here for, for 14 years. um, It's a big chunk of time to put in, in most organizations by today's standards, but your viewpoint is obviously much more, it's much longer than that. And your, your timeline for success, and I think it's a great message, and probably a great one for us to close on because there's a lot of damage that we've done as humans, and that, as I said earlier, you know, men on the planet, especially in the Western world, we bear a huge responsibility for having created a lot of it, um, most of it, whether it's you or your ancestors. And so, um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put out a you know a challenge um, and join it myself, you know, for the men that are listening you know, whatever you can afford to donate, do it, and you don't need to do it. Maybe you're a great person and you, you know, you, you ride a bike to work and do all your recycling and, you know, do all kinds of great things. Maybe you want to make a donation in the name of, of, um, of the men that came before you that, that are responsible for a lot of this. And, um, So where can people go if they want to make a donation or even just find out more about the work that you're doing, Jess? I mean, I'll link up everything in the show notes, but what's the best way to to find you and and your um, your organization?
1: Well, for sure, yeah, people can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, um, and we keep both sites super active, um, and we have announcements about fundraisers, volunteer days, um, ways people can physically uh, get involved. Um, But you can also just uh, sign up for our newsletter on our website, clackwet.org. But really just try and stay connected with what we're doing. And um, if you're ever in town, please stop by our office. We have a little storefront and shop that's going to be open this summer. Um, We've got a great collection of hats and shirts and stuff like that. If you uh, prefer to put your dollars towards an ethically made item to support us, uh, also good.
0: Yeah, well, I obviously I mentioned this is not a video podcast, but the T shirt that Jazz is wearing happens to look extremely awesome, and I would be <laughs> happy to own a uh, Central West Coast Forest Society shirt. So if you're in Ucluelet, your office is in Euclid, correct?
1: Yes, and yeah. all our merch is online too. So oh, yeah. it is okay. Yeah. So even
0: if you're listening globally, you can get some merch, um, some <laughs> sustainably made merch from uh, West Coast Forest. So. Jess, I want to thank you for being on the cast. Um, it's been a really good discussion, and just thank you for being such a great role model for um, for the future of humanity. It's, it's been a...
1: <laughs> no about no, that, but well,
0: Basically. it's uh, that's that's what I'm gonna that's how I'm gonna label you. So um, <laughs> at least you got one person. Okay, that is it for episode number sixteen of the Men at Work podcast. Once again, I'd like to just put out that challenge in case you missed it at the beginning. If you're listening um, and you feel inclined to help repay or help to clean up some of the mess that our ancestors have left, please do go to Central West Coast Forestry's website and make a donation or find out how you can get involved in person. I'll link up everything in the show notes. And thanks for listening. If you like this show, if you like this podcast, please send me some love. If you really liked it and you really want to help me out, I'd love you to actually put some words around it and write a written review. All right. Stay tuned for episode 17 coming at you next week. Bye for now.